Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. Hey, Redemption family, Alex here. Uh, I know this is very much so out of the ordinary to be coming to you like this, uh, but in light of what the city advised us uh, yesterday and the day before concerning large assemblies and avoiding those if we can, we thought it'd be wise. We, we reached out to Dr. Ben Lacey as well, and I got his opinion on it. He's one of our lay elders and got his opinion, and he said, yeah, it's, it's probably best to, to uh, cancel corporate worship this Sunday. So that's what we're doing. But fortunately, we do have the technology and means to be able to still open the word and come together like this. And so I am grateful for this. Um, I want to let you know a couple things going on in and around the church really quickly, and then we'll just jump into the scripture for the day. Uh, first, uh, we have a new church website. So if you go over to redemptionseattle.com, you'll be able to see it there. Dan and his team worked hard on it over the last couple of months, and it looks very good. It's very clean. It's very simple. It's very stripped down. Uh, it's easy to use. Everything that you need to know about redemption and what we're doing is there. And so uh, please have a look. And if you see Dan out and about, give him a thumbs up or send him an email and let him know what you think. It looks it looks awesome. So there's one new website. Second thing, uh, speaking of Dan, is we're having our next prayer and worship night here on March 26th at 6.30 p.m. Child care is provided. And so uh, at our prayer and worship night that we had a few weeks back, I got more positive feedback and encouragement and hey can we please do that again soon? I got more of those kinds of comments than anything else uh, that I can remember us doing over the last few years here at Redemption. So we're going to do more of that. So we're going to be praying for healing, praying for revival, praying for our neighborhood, praying for our city, praying for our country. And so um, please make it a point to be here. We we're, we walk through scripture. We have times of silence, and, like in reflection, and, but we worship and it's it's so good. So make it a point to be here at 630, uh, March 26th. It's going to be fantastic. Feel free to bring friends. It's so, it's so good. Um, last thing, Easter is about a month away. So just be thinking about that. And we have a very special day planned for Easter Sunday. And so it's, it's going to be fantastic. So maybe think about a friend or some family members that you might want to invite and bring along uh, as we honor the resurrected Lord Jesus on Easter Sunday. So with that being said, we're going to jump into the scripture for today. Uh, and since today is Friday, I usually finish my sermons on Thursday, and then I don't look at it again or think about it much until early, early Sunday morning. And yesterday, as I was finishing up the sermon, I was originally planning on covering Acts chapter 8, verse 5 down to 20. Uh, but in light of just where I feel like God wants us to go today. Uh, we're only going to do Acts chapter eight, verse five. And so 
if you think about kind of how we're journeying through the book of Acts, uh, we're about 21 sermons into the book of Acts and we're going to preach about 60 sermons or so. So we're about a third of the way through uh, the book of Acts. And I tend to think about it kind of like if this is a long journey through the book of Acts. Think about your summer road trip that you're going to take this summer as you go down the coast or you head out east. It's all beautiful. And yet there's certain moments where you stop the car and pull over at a scenic spot and go, oh, my gosh, this is so beautiful. Let's hang out here for just a minute. That's kind of what we did last week. And it's what we're doing this week with just doing one verse. It's time to just pull the car over and look at one particular thing. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to do Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Um, and the reason why I felt like we just need to pull the car over uh, is because uh, I, of conversations I've been having in the church this week. You see, when I prepare to preach the gospel every week, I tend to, t- uh, tend to think in terms of what's called exegesis, which means uh, to extract from, to exit, to lead out, to pull out and to examine something. Right. So when I think about exegesis, I, I, I exegete four things week by week. I'm intentional with these things. I exegete scripture, culture, congregation, and myself. In exegeting scripture, I'm asking historical questions, names and dates and authors, occasions for writing, the recipients, who's in political power, what's the religious landscape of the day, whether it's the philosophy of the day, and seeking to understand the original context in which the scriptures are written, exegete the scripture. But beyond that, I exegete the culture. For me, for us, it's Seattle, Washington. I'm thinking, where are we at as far as politically? I think about athletes, artists, businessmen and women. I think about our you know, our, our unhoused neighbors living in tents. I think, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about our city as a whole. What do we value? What do we condemn? How does Seattle feel? I exegete Seattle. I exegete our congregation. And so that means week by week, as I sit with people, whether I had a couple in our home last night, or as I sit with people at coffee shops or a pub or walk in the lake or wherever, um, I exegete our congregation. That is, I'm listening to our people. I'm listening to questions or concerns or things we're excited about or things we want to grow in. And I go, oh man, I, I need to think about these things in light of studying scripture and in light of preaching the gospel. The last thing I exegete is myself. I think about how does this work its way into my, to my own soul? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to change? What is God trying to say to me? And then eventually it all makes its way out on a paper or onto a screen. And, and then it's delivered in a sermon. This week in exegeting the congregation on Wednesday, I had three meetings with three different gentlemen outside of our all staff meeting. Um, at 8 a.m. I had a coffee at a lunch appointment and I had a, a later evening, about 8 p.m. appointment with three men in our church and all three of them unknowingly said the same things in our meetings. All three of them mentioned the fact that they want to grow as evangelists. They want to grow in being able to boldly share with their coworkers and their neighbors about the love of God. They want to be able to talk about the love of God. And they're going, how do you, how do we do that, man? I want to do that. And so since those three gentlemen said that and 
in light of what the passage is about today, I felt good with just stopping at verse five today and just pulling the car over and going, let's just look at this one thing. Next week, we'll plan to jump back in and pick up the narrative and start covering maybe some larger passages uh, of scripture. And uh, But here's, here's what Acts chapter eight, verse five says. Now, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Let me briefly tell you what's gone on in Acts so far. Um, in Acts chapter one, Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the father. He told the, the apostles, the disciples, not to go anywhere, but to wait for the promise of the father. That when he sends the Holy Spirit, they would become witnesses of his in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. A few days later, Pentecost happens. Jesus does send the Holy Spirit. And then everyone now is right speaking in tongues and working signs and wonders and the church is growing. However, in spite of the fact of the church growing, the, the uh, Jewish authorities came against uh, the early Christians and they persecuted them severely. The apostles were jailed and then released. However, once the apostles are released, uh, the church continues to just grow and grow and grow. The apostles were, were primarily responsible for preaching the gospel, for pastoral care, for working signs and wonders, testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. And yet at the same time, because thousands and thousands of people have come together, many of whom were impoverished, they're going, we're growing as disciples, but our daily needs aren't being met. We need help. And so those who had means were extremely generous. They laid, they laid all their resources at the apostles' feet. That is, they, they pooled all their resources together and said, okay, apostles, we want you to distribute these needs, take care of the people. So that, that's what the apostles are doing. However, uh, the apostles basically ran out of time. There's only so many hours in a day. And so they couldn't keep up with preaching the gospel and making disciples and overseeing the early church and going about all these administrative tasks as well. So they said, find us seven men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and men that have good reputations among the people. Go find those seven, bring them to us. They brought them to the apostles and the apostles laid their hands on them and sent them out for the work of these administrative tasks of looking after the people. Two men in particular rise up out of the seven and they're uniquely gifted by God to do the things that the apostles can also do, namely preach the gospel effectively and work signs and wonders. The first is Stephen. Stephen is doing these things and the Jewish authorities get word of that. The Jewish authorities then rig a false trial, bring Stephen under charges of criminal blasphemy and seek to put him to death by stoning. And so, as Stephen is on trial, he proclaims to them the gospel. The leaders are, what the Bible says there, their hearts are cut in half, they're enraged, they gnash their teeth, they charge Stephen, they put him to death by stoning. And it's done under the supervision of a man named Saul. As Stephen dies, he looks into heaven, sees the Son of God standing at the right hand of God and, and prays for forgiveness for those who are putting him to death. And then it says Stephen went to sleep, which is a euphemism, meaning he will wake up one day refreshed. Then Saul, that had overseen the death of Stephen, then starts to persecute other believers. So he goes and he starts dragging men and women off to prison. 
and, and ter terrorizing and uh, ravaging the church. As he's doing so, many are jailed and so on, but many get away. They escape to the north, to this region known as Samaria. That's what's going on. This other man, Philip, who is much like Stephen, also is in that crowd. And that's where we pick up today where it says, And so Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so first thing, Philip, he's one of the seven that was selected. Next thing you need to know, it says he went down to the city. But if you're looking at a map, if you go to the back of your Bible, maybe you'll find a map and then you'll see that in the south is the city of Jerusalem. To the north is a region known as Samaria. So it's 42 miles to the north. So you go, why does it, why does it say he goes down when it's clear it looks like he's going up? Well, that's because of the elevation of Jerusalem, the topography of Jerusalem. If you look at Jerusalem, it's up on a mountain. And so they would go, he would go down in elevation as he heads to the northern region known as Samaria. Uh, the scriptures translate this. It says he goes to the city of Samaria. And that's where it starts to get kind of hard. So if you have a study Bible, do some digging if you like. Um, it's hard to actually locate a city known as Samaria. It might be the city of Shechem. Jesus himself spent some time there. But it's, it's hard to actually really clearly identify where the city of Samaria is. We do know that he's clearly in the region known as Samaria. Now, this is important because Philip is heading into dangerous territory. That is, if you go and you start digging around and really looking at who the Samaritans are and their relationship to the Jews, it is not a good one. You see, in 722 BC, the Samaria, the, the Samaritan, <laughs> I'm not Samari, Samaritans. There it is. <laughs> this you're welcome. Uh, the Samaritans. Uh, let's see how they, how does it work? Oh, they're from the northern kingdom of Israel, and so in 722, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, come into and they wipe out the kingdom of Israel, haul off many of them into uh, exile. Right. However, some stayed behind. Those who stayed behind then began to marry and intermarry with Assyrians and Canaanites and thus started to, they broke certain commandments in the law that said, don't do that. Don't, don't betray Yahweh. Don't marry other people and start to adopt their paganism and idolatry and so on. But that's what the Samaritans did. Okay. And so that's where they, that's where they come from. Um, so other Jews to the south and to the north tended to hate those people. They used racial slurs, calling them half-breeds and things like that. Um, and so they were, they were despised people. In fact, oftentimes when people would uh, travel from the northern country of Israel down to the south, they would go all the way outside and around Samaria so as to not even step foot in unclean land. Um, there's an occasion in uh, Luke's gospel where I think it's Luke nine, where Jesus, Jesus himself goes into Samaria and he's not welcome as a Jew from Galilee to the north. He's not welcome. And the, and the disciples, they don't like the fact that Jesus was rejected and despised by these people. And so the disciples ask Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on these, on these people? And Jesus, of course, says, no, 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 don't do that. But they, it's clear that it's a very hostile place. 
So Philip, alongside these other men and women who have fled for their lives, Philip goes and it says, he proclaimed to them. The word there is per se, like meaning it, he, he preached. It's how it's what we translate the word preached. He preached to them the Christ. And this is so important that when Philip leaves Jerusalem with all the Christians in Jerusalem, this is the first time we see the gospel going to another place where people don't totally look like you, think like you, talk like you, believe like you. It's a place where, oh, there's actual hostility. Not only are we different, but we're actually hostile people. Philip found himself in that place. It's a desperate place. He's now completely displaced from where he lived. And now he's there in Samaria. And when he found himself around people that he was very different from, he did something in particular. He did not go to Samaria to debate theologically. Do we worship on Mount Gerizim or do we worship down in Jerusalem? He doesn't go to argue politics. He doesn't go to name call. He doesn't go to pick a fight. He doesn't go to just merely argue and be right. He goes and proclaims the Christ. He goes to Samaria and proclaims the Christ. Samaritans didn't believe the Old Testament the way traditional Jews do. Samaritans believed in the first five books of the law, Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The other Jews believed, obviously, all of their Old Testament. But Philip knew enough of his Old Testament law that he could still proclaim to them the Christ from the law and the prophets. And as he goes, he's extremely successful in doing so. And we'll get into more of that next week and what some of that looks like. But I want to just spend just another minute with you on what it means to proclaim specifically the Christ. I don't know if I actually ever heard a sermon on the Christ. Um, for some people, you might just think Christ might be like Jesus's like last name. I don't know. Like, what does that mean? Is it, it's a religious term of sorts, but I don't know. What does Christ mean? Who is the Christ? What is the Christ? The Christ is something that is proclaimed throughout the entire Old Testament. This, the Christ is our word for uh, the, the Jewish way of saying the Messiah, God's anointed one. God's appointed one, God's holy one, God's set apart one, God's unique and only means by which humankind and all creation can now be restored to God finally, totally, completely, and fully. It's going to be through this unique Christ. Philip goes and he proclaims the Christ. When you think about Jesus as the Christ, what comes to mind? When you think about when you exegete Seattle, what is the Christ? Who is the Christ? So Philip and the rest of the New Testament apostles don't teach us that Jesus is a charismatic wisdom sage. He's not some proto-liberation revolutionary. But he's into liberation and revolution. That Jesus is not a life coach. Jesus is not a dictator. Jesus is not our homeboy. 
Like when we say the Christ, we talk about Jesus living up to that high and holy and blessed name, the Christ. We're talking about God's own son, God's provision for mankind. When we talk about the Christ, he is the one who reigns and rules over Israel. He reigns and rules over the church. He reigns and rules ultimately over all creation. That God did not send to you an angel or a prophet or just a very good person or just or a teacher. God sent you his son, his Christ, the hope of the world. And so when Philip goes into this region and he proclaims the Christ, he is not proclaiming universalism, that it all just works out for everybody and we all somehow end up in heaven. He's not doing that. He goes to Samaria with the one hope of the whole world and proclaims him boldly. Sure, it's offensive. I remember reading, I don't know, 20 years ago, I remember reading somewhere, a theologian said, I will not be upset with God over the fact that there are not two doors to heaven. I'll be thankful that there's at least one and it's open. <laughs> That's what it means to proclaim the Christ. So just when you think about your situation this week at work and in your home life and with your neighbors and your friends that don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you not to just wait on some trained professional to share the gospel with them or shoot a podcast link from so-and-so, which that stuff's fine, but your story matters. Your testimony matters. Your experience matters. What you know about the Christ is important. Do you proclaim him? Is he worth proclaiming? He is. He's not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. And so as you follow Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, and as you grow comfortable and familiar with him, proclaim him. Share the good news, the one hope of the world, Christ our Savior. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to continue to be praying for you all throughout this week. If there's anything I can do for you as a pastor, as a friend, I'm here for you. Love you, Redemption. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.